Please don't just carry on reading through it. Um, this is, I'm going to explain them all, but I wanted, to, I wanted you to have one in your hand, so as I explain how they're going to work, um, you can flip through it and, and do it at that point. But um, I've got some stuff to say as well, so I'll try and have a listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> that would be great. Um, last week, Rebecca preached the fourth uh, sermon in a series called Gathered Together, and she explained at that one why communion is such an important part of us coming together um, regularly. Um, that's not actually the, the last of those series, uh, in that series. We've got one more sermon to come, and it's, it's going to be about, when we come together, the importance of uh, listening to God. And it, in particular, it's going to be listen to God through his word, and listen to God as he speaks to us uh, through the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and actually, I'm re- the reason we left it until a little bit later is because when Dave Devonish comes, that's what he's going to be speaking on. And he's um, a, a big reason that we're part of New Frontiers and Catalyst is because of Dave Devonish. He's one of the kind of founding fathers of, those, uh, of our churches in that sense. And so it's a real privilege to have him. He goes all around the world. He's been preaching on that kind of stuff for years. So it's like, you know, the best person we could possibly get to speak on that is, is going to be with us. So I'm looking forward to that, and it's going to be worth the wait. Brilliant. 3rd of March, is that when it is? 3rd of March, so it's coming up soon. But today I'm going to kick off a, a new series based in the book of Ephesians, and I am super excited about this because this isn't just a sermon series, but it's going to be a, a full-on church-wide deep dive into this outstanding, mind-bending, phenomenal book. Uh, so I hope I've sold it to you already. It's going to be very good. You see, this, this book is incredible. It's, it's not very long. We've cut it up into uh, what, six chapters. But actually, it's densely packed with so much profound and deep truth that um, it's going to take us a bit of time. We thought we're going to commit seven uh, weeks to it. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a Michelin-starred restaurant uh, who has been to a Michelin star? Oh, a few of us. Very nice. I've never been to one. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I've been told, I, when I look at Michelin star style food, I think it looks lovely, but it's not going to fill me up. Um, yeah, you're with me, exactly. But I've been told, this has been explained to me. I watch it on TV and all of that kind of stuff, and I'm like, what, what is it about it? And apparently it's about the depth and the complexity and the beauty of the flavours, that if you had double the amount, you'd just lose something of the glory of that plate of food. And so actually you need the small amount so you can think about it, you can, you can recognise the quality of the dish you're eating. And in, 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 a, in a way I, I see that in Ephesians as well. You have to take it seriously, you have to slow down. It's not very long, but that's good because we couldn't cope if it carried on for any longer. It's about the depth. It's about getting into it and really thinking, what is God saying through this? What does this actually mean for us? And so um, my, my prayer is that over these seven weeks that we're going to look at this, it's, like, it's not about covering vast amounts. It's about getting deep into this book. And I want to make you a promise. This book, the letter to the Ephesians, will have as much impact on your life as you allow it. And in the same way, uh, this, this, um, this book will have as much impact on us as a church as we allow it to. So the more we put in, the more we get out. When Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it to a whole church. 
He didn't write it to an individual. He wrote some books to an individual like Timothy and Titus. But the book of Ephesians, he wrote to a church. And that's because he wanted the church to understand who they are in Christ. He wanted them to understand what Christ had achieved for them. And what does it mean to be a Christian? How does it affect all of us and our lives? And um, in the same way, uh, my prayer is, as we read the book of Ephesians, it's like we will get a deeper understanding of what Christ has called us into. That actually, what does it mean to, to say we are in Christ You know, we sing things like, in Christ alone, and what does that phrase, in Christ, mean? And it's a deep thing, and we're going to spend plenty of time looking at it. So here's how we're going to do this. Um, We're going to, on a Sunday, for the next seven weeks, as we always do, but we're going to preach our hearts out. Okay, we'll preach as much and as hard as we can, and it will be good. But also, we've developed, we, we, we want this sense of daily devotion to this book. Okay, so we've, de- we've developed this study guide, and I'm very grateful a whole host of people have contributed to it. But basically, there's seven weeks worth of material. You've got a week uh, start, which starts tomorrow uh, on the Monday, and every day there's a reading. Um, and the first week is, introduces you to the book of Ephesians. And then um, from that, we've, after that, we've got six weeks. Every week we'll look at one chapter. And someone's taken a chapter, they've given us a little summary, and they've given you a little, they've divided it up into daily readings um, with, with some thoughts and some stuff to kind of provoke you to, to pray and to think. Um, on top of that, um, every week there's a, um, in a slightly different font, there's a, a memory verse. So it's good to commit um, the scriptures to memory because actually it feeds you during the day and you don't need to have your Bible with you, you can just kind of ponder on it. Um, and, and then also we've got this deep dive. So we asked every contributor to, to really think about what is, what's the highlight for them in this particular chapter. Um, and they've written what it is that's really stirred them. And I'm hoping that that bit, that deep dive, will really uh, help to get conversations going in the connect groups. Or if you're, if you're in a family, as you meet together to discuss it, you can, you can kind of chat about this deep dive thing. So, so the idea really is that we devote ourselves in all sorts of ways across the church. Does that make sense? Yes. Does that sound good? Yes. Brilliant. Um, in, in Acts chapter 2, it says, we're told that the, the, the disciples um, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And every day they met together in the temple courts. And they listened to what the, what the uh, apostles had to say as they taught them what Jesus had taught them. And in, and in that sense, I really want to encourage us to devote ourselves to this book written by the Apostle Paul for the next seven weeks. And the more we put into it, the more we'll get out of it. Amen? Brilliant. Okay. So, intro week. I'm going to um, read Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Uh, and I'm, we're just doing two verses. Don't worry, it speeds up after that. But... Um, um, two verses, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I will be needing to take drinks every now and then. I'm just getting over something, so. Yeah, yeah, last night. Just get yeah, yeah, Well done. Well done. Yes. Yeah, I won't repeat that for the tape, but well done. 
that's good. So normally at the beginning of a series, we'd spend quite a long time looking at the background of the book, perhaps look at the the church that Paul was writing to or the situation that he's writing into. But I'm not going to do that this week because Jackie Greenway has done an outstanding job of all of that in this book. So you can do that for yourself. Thank you very much, Jackie. Very good. But I do want to point out one thing, which is the setting from which Paul wrote this letter, the situation he was in. I don't know if you're creative, uh, maybe you're a painter, I know we've got a, paint, we've got a painter up there, uh, or you're, uh, you like to compose songs, you like to write stories, you like to make things with your hands. Um, we've got lots of creative people, but what I've found is when you talk to a creative person, there's a particular zone in which they, they really become creative. It's like the juices start flowing. So for some people, they love just the hustle and bustle of life. And so if they're involved in, you know, there's lots of people, there's lots of traffic, there's lots of noise, that brings like artistic kind of flow to them. In fact, we've got some new um, art just installed at the back here. It's very nice. It's by a local artist, and you can really see that he likes spending time in the middle of, the light of life. So have a look at those a bit later. Other artists or creative people like solitude. It's like... The last thing I want is any distraction. I just want to be alone with my thoughts, and from that, start, things start kind of flowing. Other people like to get out into creation. They, they like to see the alpine forests or the, the, the waters and the lakes and all of that kind of stuff, and from that, like, I don't know, like poetry and stuff starts coming forth from them. Other people just are happy just sitting on a desk, typing away, and it's like they get transported into their own little world, and from there, that's where they get their creativity. Um, I love the story of uh, Tolkien and Lewis. Do you know the guy that wrote The Hobbit and the guy that wrote um, Narnia? Do you know those two, those two guys? Well, they were part of a, a little group uh, called the Inklings, I think, and, um, and they would meet weekly, and, and they would discuss each other's work. So Tolkien might come up and say, oh, I've, I've written a bit of a book called The Lord of the Rings, and I've got this guy called Gandalf, and I've got this other guy. Da, da. And they would talk it through, and, and, and they would discuss it as a group and critique it and say, I like that, I don't really like that. And then he would go off and work on his, on his stuff. And then uh, C.S. Lewis would stand up and say, I'm writing a book called um, Narnia, and I've got, you know, I've got the lion and a witch and a wardrobe, and, it, and everyone would say, oh, wow, that sounds good, or I don't really like the idea of that, and then he would go off and work on it. And so some art, artistic people like to collaborate with people, and it's amazing what that's given us, actually, that, that kind of time. Those people have given us such a rich um, kind of storyline to look at. But oh, it got me thinking, I wonder what situation Paul likes to be in in order to start writing this stuff. Because you read Ephesians and you think, it's an incredible book. It's so deep and profound in so many ways. And after 2,000 years, we still read it and think, man alive, this is blowing my, my mind. What kind of situation is he in? And it might surprise you if you didn't know that he's in prison. He's in prison. We're told he's probably in, um, in prison in Rome. He's probably, uh, what's, what's, I've forgotten what the word is, when you're kind of, in prison in your own home. House arrest, under house arrest. But we're told he's in chains four times. He describes himself as, I'm a prisoner of Christ, or I'm in chains for the gospel. So he's, a, he's in prison. So in one sense, there's no alpine trees, if that's what he wants. He's, behind, he's next to a big kind of 
sweaty soldier <laughs> chained down, and it's like, well, there you go. But in another sense, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's clearly that he's having some kind of revelation from God, that he's in a state of worship as he begins to write this stuff. The Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, we're told that he, he kind of got kind of enveloped in almost like a, a, a vision of what, of, it was like he was in a kind of half trancey like state when he kind of saw everything in Revelation. If, if you read the book of Revelation, it's weird. You're kind of going through it and thinking, what does this make sense? I don't understand what that's talking about and all of this. But actually, he's revealing what's going on in, on, in heaven and on earth but from a heavenly perspective. And it's crazy. And in some ways, I think Ephesians is like Paul's version of Revelation. It's like he's been caught up in things of God. He's been caught up by the Holy Spirit. And now he can see things, but in a completely different way to what we might see it. And um, so, for example, from an earthly perspective, Paul is a prisoner in chains. But from a heavenly perspective, he's an ambassador for Christ, free to go wherever God calls him to, to proclaim the gospel. From an earthly perspective, the church is under the cosh. It's in Ephesus where anything goes and people are looking at them and ridiculing them or laughing at them or telling them to stop believing what they believe. And so they're struggling along. But from a heavenly perspective, they're a bunch of holy people who are faithful to the Lord and who are standing firm to the end. And you think, man, they're two different things. And I just want to read some of the scriptures that we read in Ephesus. Not to, not to understand them, but for you to hear the language. Because as you listen to Paul, you hear him kind of scrambling around to find the words that express something of the vision he's seeing. So that the people of Ephesus can get caught up in it too. So praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Or God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is deep stuff. You have to slow down to understand that. And you can hear him trying to express something uh, in words to help us see what it's like. Another one. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So you can hear there's like this poetic, prophetic straining to try and express something of what he's seeing from a heavenly perspective. See, he could have said in that last one, he could have just said, God loves you. <laughs> Ephesians, know that God loves you. But he doesn't, that's not expressing what he's seeing. What he's seeing is there is there's a, a wideness and a length and there's a height and there's a depth to the love of God that you don't understand but you need to see. And so he's using that kind of language to get us to understand. So as we read through this throughout the next seven weeks, we need to slow down. We need to think about what's being said. We need to meditate on it. 
We need to devote ourselves to the scriptures. And the more we do that, the more we'll get something of what Paul's seeing. We'll get that vision that he has seen. So if you want to summarize the book of Ephesians in one sentence, you could probably just uh, use this second verse. Grace and peace to you from the God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good summary of what's going on. Grace and peace are two very important words in the book of Ephesus, uh, Ephesians. And over this series, you're going to hear them again and again. So I thought it would be good to spend a, a moment just thinking about these two words, grace and peace, and think about what they mean. Grace. Has anyone here got the name Grace? Uh, the name Grace. Put your hand up if you've got it anywhere in your name. You've got grace, you've got grace. So we've got a few graces here. Grace is a great, a great word. Christians love grace. In fact, Swan, where's Swan? Good, I'm glad he's gone. <laughs> he, he was here playing bass for us. But they had, they had a, a little baby yesterday uh, morning, I think, and, and she's called Grace. And uh, so I was like, oh, yes, perfect. So grace is a great name. But it's, a, it's an amazing thing. I'm going to explain what grace means. Grace is God's undeserved favor towards us. Okay, let me try and explain it uh, in this way. Imagine you've, you've done something terrible, absolutely terrible, and you deserve prison, and you've gone to trial. You know you've done it. The jury knows you've done it. The judge knows you've done it. And, uh, and you've been found guilty. And, uh, and then you come back for sentencing. And you don't know whether you're going to get uh, just a few years or life. You don't know whether you're going to see daylight again because you know what you did was out of order and you deserve the punishment. Mercy is this. The judge looks at you and says, what you've done is not good. What you've done deserves the full weight of the law upon you. What you've done deserves uh, a punishment. But I'm not going to punish you. That's mercy, because you're not getting something that you deserve. You deserve punishment, but you're not getting it. And God has been merciful to us. He's been incredibly merciful to us, because the punishment that we should have received went on to Jesus, so that he could say, I'm not going to punish you. But grace is mercy plus. Imagine in that scenario, the judge looks and says, and do you know what? I'm going to give you Everything you need to start a new life. Everything you need. Do you need your guilt wiped away completely so it's no longer held against you? I'll do that. Do you need a new house? I'll give you a new house. Do you need, do you need a new job and, and to be equipped with new skills so that you can go and get a great job? I'm going to give you those skills. Do you need someone to dedicate their life to walking with you day by day by day so that as you try and learn not to live that old way of life so that you can start living this new way of life? Do you need a person dedicated to do that for you? I'm going to give him to you. And that is what grace is. It's incredible. When you become a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus, we're told in Ephesians you're a new creation. You're a new person. 
You've been given a new perspective. You've been given a new purpose in life. And God gives you his Holy Spirit to equip you and empower you to live that life. And when we talk about living in grace, that is what we're talking about. It's an incredible thing. American hip-hop artist Lecrae says, Your identity is not wrapped up in how right you get it or how perfect you post yourself, but your identity is wrapped up in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book of Ephesians is all about learning what our new identity is. And it's not based on my behavior, and it's not based on my history or my ability to impress God. It's all based on what he's given to us. He's the judge who said, do you know what? I'm going to give you everything for a new life. And Ephesians is just unpacking and exploring that. So grace is a really important word. Secondly, peace. Peace is when, when uh, it's like healing broken relationships. So you have two kind of governments or two countries at war with one another. And, we're, and you're praying or you're asking for peace. What you're asking for is that these two could, can sort out their differences and the relationship can be restored and they can live together again. That's what peace is. Or like a couple, they're finding it really hard and you just want to find them, you want to find peace for that relationship where actually they can now live together again in love and unity. And that's what uh, peace is. See, Ephesus was a very multicultural, multi-ethnic Back, uh, place. It was full of all types of people. You had Romans, you had Greeks, you had Jews, you had people from every other part of the country coming in. But it, it, it didn't mix. You had quarters, you know, you had like, this is where the Jews live. This is where the Greeks or the Romans live. This is, and, and so they were living next to each other, but they weren't living together. But the church in Ephesus was called to be different. That's what it means by God saying the manifold wisdom of Christ is revealed through the church. Because actually all these nations and all these people from all these backgrounds in the church, they're not just going to live side by side together, but they're going to live in unity with one another. Genuine relationship, genuine care for one another. Not based on um, backgrounds, not based on where you're from, but based on who you are in Christ. And so that's what peace is all about. And so we'll read a lot about that. But you think about Ephesians and you think, don't, don't we need that in London as well? Doesn't London need more peace to come to it? And, and the answer, as we heard earlier, um, uh, Kwame was talking about, you know, actually, we can do all this stuff, but actually it's the gospel that's the answer to that. Because there's something that unites us, like that's deeper than just where we live. It's who we are in Christ, and it's the God we serve. Amen? Amen. Amen. I've nearly finished, and we're going um, to respond. But Mark 8, verse 23. Uh, Jesus meets a blind man, and um, he, he, he heals him, but in a really strange way. He spits in the man's eyes and then puts his hands on, on, on his eyes, um, which, you know, we, we can talk about another day. I don't know why he's done it like that. But um, then he takes his hands off and says to the man, what do you see? Can you see anything? And the man said, he looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes 
And when he opened them, his sight was restored and he could see everything clearly. So there was like a two-phase kind of revelation. Now, the first, the first revelation is incredible. So someone whose who's retinas weren't working, they can't see light, they can't, they, they can't process any kind of um, sight at all, can now see, although it's hazy, although it's fuzzy, they can actually see people walking around. It's, it's, it's not clear, but I can see it. That's an incredible miracle. That's an amazing miracle. But then Christ is like, no, but there's more. I've got, I want to bring more clarity to you. And so he, he, he touches him and then he's completely healed. And um, you know, the sight is completely restored. And in some ways, I feel like Ephesians is, is like a spiritual version of that. Because in many ways, Paul's saying, man, God has done an amazing miracle of you. You're a holy people. You're faithful. You're standing firm in the faith. That's amazing. But he's also saying, but there's more. There's a vision that you can't see at the moment, and I, wanna, I want you to have it. I want you to get clarity on what it is Christ has achieved here. It's a, it's a phenomenal thing. And in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the holy people. And that, there's that sense for us as well. It's like I look around and I think, man, this is a holy bunch of people. I love the fact that people, although we're in such a multicultural area with all different views and religions going around, we're standing firm in the faith. You're saying, no, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. I've heard him, I've seen him, and he's the one I'm going for. That's amazing. And at the same time, I feel like through this Ephesians series, God just wants to say, and there's more to see. And there's a greater clarity. And my prayer for this series is, is that as we devote ourselves to this book, we say, God, would you open the eyes of our hearts? And do you know what he does? Through us just studying and understanding and grappling with it, and his Holy Spirit coming down and bringing revelation, suddenly life is very different. And so that's my prayer for this next seven weeks. God, would you give us fresh vision? Yes. Bring us flesh, fresh clarity and new perspective. Imagine what God can do as he does that in us. So I want to encourage you to make this your companion for the next seven weeks. I want to encourage you. It's such a great book. Um, you know, I've been, the guys that are preaching in this one, you know, you just, everyone's like, I don't know what bit. As preachers, we're not preaching the whole of the, the um, chapter that we've been given. So you've got to choose a bit. And the problem is, what shall we not talk about? Because it's all so amazing and it's, like, it's just coming to life for us. So um, I know that's going to happen for you as well as you read through it. Um, I'd like us to, if it's all right, Tim, we'll just sing a, a song in response. And in a moment, um, there's a, cu- a couple of people I'd like to pray for, really. Um, and, and very similar to what Dan's been saying. Either you just feel... You do feel like it's hazy. I, ha- I hear God clearly. Like I, I, I can, I'm trying to put what I'm saying. I can see God, and I can see God moving, and I can see you know He's doing stuff. But I just I don't feel like I have a particularly clear view of Him, and I want more clarity. I want to to know Him more. I want to understand what Christ has done for me more. And I'd love to pray for you um, that actually He would just bring that over this time. 
And then I, I felt that there might be a couple of people here who have been around the church for a little while. Do you know that story about Jesus um, healing the blind man? It is one of those classic things as he was passing by. The man would have heard all the stuff going on about Jesus. And he must have been like, yeah, but I want to see. I don't want to just hear. And maybe you're here and you, you're like, I can hear the value and the love and the joy that we all have in Christ. But I want to see it for myself. I want my own faith. I want my eyes to be opened to what everyone else is singing and celebrating. And if that's you, again, I'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Because actually it's, it's, it's God as he opens his eyes. It's, it's nothing I can do. It's nothing actually you can do. It's God's opening your eyes to it. And so I'd love to pray for you. So we're going to sing a song. Should we stand together? And then I'll call up some response.